All right, well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology lessons. We're looking at the doctrine of the church, and in particular, the use of God's outward and ordinary means of grace. Now, up to this point, we've been making some observations about the means of grace in general. Well, today we're going to start looking at uh, some of these means, particularly the ones that the vines placed emphasis on, and that is the word, the sacraments, and prayer. There's a reason why they put emphasis on those three. Well, today we're going to start with the Word. Now, if you recall, we've already done a series on the doctrine of Scripture. There we established just what exactly the Word is and its attributes. And that's not the purpose of this section. Having already established what the Word is, questions 155 through 160 in the larger catechism, in questions 89 and 90 of the shorter, are now going to get into the practical use of the word as a means of grace in our lives. In other words, now that we have the word, we've established what it is, what do we do with it? Question 89 of the shorter asks this, how is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And then question 90 asks this, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. So the word is to be read, to be heard, with special emphasis here placed on the preaching of the word. The word, when made effectual, convicts us of our sin, converts sinners, and then builds up believers in holiness and comfort through faith. And we should come to the reading and hearing of the word with a certain frame of mind, a certain approach. Namely, we come diligently, we come prepared, we come with prayer. We are to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and then seek to actually practice that word in our lives. Now, we're going to expand on some of those details in the next lesson. But today, I wanted to draw your attention to the first words of answer 89 of the Shorter Catechism. Notice how the answer starts. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God maketh. See that the Spirit of God maketh. Joe Moorcraft writes, one of the fundamental emphasis of biblical and reformed Christianity is the unity of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works in us with the Word of God. And the Word of God is powerless in us without the Holy Spirit. Hence, the Bible is called, quote, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. Since saving grace is a gift of the Spirit, since God's spiritual gifts are also gifts of His grace, and since the Spirit works in unity with the Word, therefore the Holy Spirit makes the reading and preaching of the Word effective as a means of saving grace in His people. But you see, it's this emphasis on the Holy Spirit working with the Word that got my attention. It reminded me of something that we've taught before but I wanted to remind you of it again today. 
Now, I know it's been a while, and you may not remember this, but a while back, even before we started this current series, uh, we spent some time looking at the threefold office of Christ. We make mention of this office every Lord's Day. We just said it. I believe that he rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father, wherein he executes the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. It's Christ as a prophet that has special relevance for us today regarding the use of the word as a means of grace in our lives. And if you recall, question 24 of the Shorter Catechism asked, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? And the answer to that, Christ executed the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Does that sound familiar? Did you catch anything there? Do you not get the sense that in question and answer 24, that we're hitting on the same things that are now being addressed here in question 89? In other words, in question 89, we're asking, how is the word made effectual for salvation? And then the answer begins, the spirit of God makes it effectual unto salvation. Well, back in question 24, we saw the same elements. It is by Christ's word and spirit that the will of God for our salvation is revealed. And what is this work of the Holy Spirit with the word in revealing our salvation? What is that a manifestation of? It is Christ executing his office of a prophet. See those opening words of answer 89 in the shorter catechism, the spirit of God maketh, which is an answer to a question about the word, takes me straight back to thinking about Christ working as prophet. And since it took me straight back there, I wanted to remind you of what we said back then of Christ executing the office of a prophet. And I want to do this because it lays a very important foundation for us. It helps bring some gravity and weight and importance to us in the use of the word in our lives today. You see, if I just got up here and said to you today, hey, you need to read your Bible. And hey, you need to be in church every Sunday and hear the word preached. There's nothing wrong with me saying that, but if I just left it at that, you may hear that and be tempted to think of all sorts of reasons for why I would tell you to do those things. For example, you may think to yourself, oh, well, the pastors are just telling us that we need to be here every Sunday and listen to the word preached because if nobody comes to church, pastors don't have a job. And there's no money coming in. And particularly our presiding pastor, there'd be no money coming in for him. You see, this is all about jobs. This is all about money. This is about men wanting to exercise some control over people's lives. I've heard this. Just spend five minutes on Facebook. Now, I don't think anyone here thinks that way. But you better believe there are thousands of people out there who do think that way. And I'm sure there are other reasons people would give for why pastors would emphasize the need to read, but especially to come and hear the word preached. But what I want, what I want you to see and understand today is the biblical reason for it. I want you to see and understand the bigger picture here, that there's something far more deeper and significant to all of this. This isn't arbitrary. This isn't just somebody trying to justify a job. 
So let's talk about briefly and review a little bit of Christ executing this office, particularly that of a prophet. Again, I've gone over this before. It's just a reminder. But I think it's so important. First, as Francis Turretin notes, the office of Christ is nothing else than a mediation between God and men to discharge which he was sent by the Father into the world and anointed by the Holy Spirit. It embraces all that Christ ought to do from his mission and calling towards an offended God and offending men, reconciling and again uniting them to each other. And then Turretin explains why this mediatorial office is threefold. It's a threefold answer to a threefold problem that is caused by our sin and our rebellion. Turretin writes, the threefold misery of men introduced by sin required this conjunction of a threefold office. And what is this threefold misery of men introduced by sin? It's this. One, it's ignorance. Two, it's guilt. And three, it's the tyranny and bondage by sin. So, as Turretin is explaining, because our sin brought in these three things, ignorance, guilt, and slavery to sin, bondage to sin, Christ in turn executes a threefold office as the mediator between us and God in order to address that threefold problem. And this is why the threefold office of Christ is sometimes referred to as the triple cure. He's curing us of the threefold problem. So, how has our sin affected us? Well, because of sin, our foolish hearts are darkened. Paul says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Furthermore, because of sin, our thoughts are continually evil. Genesis 6.5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Also, because of sin, we have become ignorant to the things of God. In Ephesians 4, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So you see, because of our sin, our rebellion, our hearts are hardened. And that hardness leads to ignorance, ignorance of God, of his ways. In our sin, we are blind, dumb, foolish, and we hate truth. Furthermore, because there could be no knowledge of the things of the Spirit of God without God revealing these things, we get that from 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And because there could be no revelation of these things apart from Christ, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We can then understand why it is absolutely necessary then for Christ to fulfill this role of a prophet. And now secondly, lest you think that we're only inferring this office of a prophet, by what we just laid out, 
we see that Scripture explicitly states that this is the case. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses predicted, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. This is God speaking. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. Fast forward to Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Peter quotes this very scripture. It says that Moses is speaking of his day and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, explicitly and implicitly, Christ is a prophet. And that is without dispute. But now thirdly, I want to draw your attention to how Christ works as prophet. If you recall, our catechism answer stated that there are primarily two means by which Christ reveals the will of God to us as prophet, by his word and by his spirit. So let's talk about the relationship between Christ and the word. The word of God was revealed outwardly by Christ, both in the Old and New Testaments. We are told by Peter, for example, that the spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets. 1 Peter 1.11 says in Christ, that they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then we are told in Acts 7 that he spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. You see, Christ revealed himself by voices, visions, dreams, and various other manners under the Old Testament. And then while he's on earth, the second person of the Godhead incarnate, Jesus personally spoke with man face to face. And what was one of the first things out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's Christ preaching the gospel. And then later we see what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And think about what Christ there, there he's explaining the true meaning and application of the law, the word of God. And then later he goes on to speak of things to come like the destruction of the temple and his second coming, and so forth. So we see this connection with Christ, with the word, all throughout redemptive history. But it doesn't stop there. In order to make this outward ministry of the word effectual, Christ also teaches us inwardly by the Spirit working with the word. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, it's the Spirit of God who opens our understanding and makes the soul ready to not only hear outwardly the word, but for us to actually understand it, to receive it and embrace it as the word of God. In fact, it's, it's this inward illumination of the Spirit of God that is necessary for a saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the word. This is why our confession says, quote, that our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. But then lastly, consider that the catechism speaks of Christ executing the office of a prophet even now. You notice our catechism doesn't say that he executed the office of a priest, past tense, but rather executed it, or executes it, modern English. He's executing it now. But that raises an interesting question. 
If there are no visions, dreams, or apostles walking around today, if Christ has ascended, and with respect to his human nature, he's absent from us, so that we can't actually drive over to a church on a Sunday at 2 o'clock and hear Christ actually speak, how is Christ teaching us today? How is he executing this office of a prophet today? Well, obviously, there's the written word, right? We can sit down in the comfort of our home and read the Bible. The Spirit of God certainly can use that. But is that it? Or is that even the primary means? Remember, for most of history, people didn't have a Bible. They weren't walking around with these things. So what is the primary mean? means? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 8 through 14, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And here it is that we arrive at this very profound truth. Notice the ascended Christ, verse 8. He's exalted. He's ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father gives gifts to the church. And in this context, what are the gifts that he's giving to the church? The teaching offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, we don't have time to get into all the reasons why we distinguish between the extraordinary offices that are no more, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, versus the ordinary offices of pastors and teachers that continue to this day. But just note that there is a distinction and that these off, in, and of these offices, Paul only left us with directions for appointing pastors, elders. That's, you know, that's another lesson for another time. But here's the point that I want you to see today that, that I hope you really just grab a hold of. That Christ is exercising his prophetic office today by gifting and calling men to the ordinary preaching and teaching offices of pastors and teachers. That's why I say to you, read the word, but especially hear the word preached by qualified, lawfully ordained men. You see, this isn't about us. This isn't about Pastor Ken or Pastor JP or Pastor Enro or Pastor Jason. This isn't about men just wanting a little bit of control over your lives or trying to justify a job, or trying to find a way to make money on the side. No, these offices of proclaiming the word are gifts from our ascended and exalted Lord to his church. This is the ordinary means by which Christ executes his office of a prophet. This is the ordinary means by which Christ convicts and converts sinners and builds up the body of Christ, as Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
Christ reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. And the spirit of God makes the reading of that word, but especially the preaching of the word by qualified, lawfully ordained men as the effectual means of bringing that salvation to his people. And so I close in asking you this simple question. I've asked it before, but think about it. What is your attitude toward these offices, towards the church? Do you spurn the prophetic ministry of Christ or do you embrace it? I've said this a million times, your attitude towards the church, towards these things, these offices, the ministry, the preaching of the word by lawfully ordained men, your attitude towards those things reveals your heart towards Christ. It's that simple. You know, I can't help but think that if Christ descended physically and said, you know, next Lord's Day at 2 o'clock, I'm going to be at so-and-so church to preach, it'd be standing room only. I mean, it, cars would be lined up all the way to the interstate. It would be televised. People would go crazy. Well, what's the difference now? I mean, do we really believe that this is the means that Christ has appointed in ordinary men, ordinary offices. Do we have that same zeal, that same hunger, that same thirst to hear from Christ by these means as we would as if he were here with us personally and physically? I think the reason why a lot of people have a problem with the church, with people, is because they have a problem with Christ and the means that he has ordained. As we see from Scripture, this is what he's ordained. And so again, I ask you, is this something you embrace? Is this something you come prepared for, excited for, prepared about? Do you come wanting to hear from Christ and his word preached? And if not, to examine your heart. To ask yourself, do you, do you really believe this is what he's ordained and instituted. You believe his word. Well, we'll stop there.